I want to talk to you from the title, Pick Up Your Palette. It's found in Mark chapter 2. So if you turn to Mark chapter 2, I'm just going to read one verse in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus says, and I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. That's it right there. Mark chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus looks at the paralytic and says, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Now, this is one of the many miracles that Jesus did throughout the Gospels. And Jesus did the miracles to make a macro point. Anytime he was doing the miracle, yes, it was a blessing to the person that was receiving the miracle, but he was making a greater point about who he is. He was letting everyone who was there at the time know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. If you think about Moses, when Moses went to let the people go, he performed many signs. And he performed those signs to let everyone know, the Hebrew people and Pharaoh, that he was the one sent from God to get the people out of bondage and to take them to the promised land. Moses is a type of Christ. And so what Moses did in the Old Testament, Jesus did in the New Testament. He was proving the macro point that I am the one to unlock you from the bondage of sin and take you to the promised land. Even in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, John the Baptist from his imprisonment looked out and said, is he the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus responded by saying, somebody go tell John that the deaf can hear, the blind can see. Somebody go tell him the lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised. Because just by knowing that, John would know that he's the one based on Isaiah 35, which proclaims that when he comes, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lepers will have sight. And so 700 years before Christ, he, there, it, it, it is written about what Christ will do. And so he just said, tell John this. In the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it says that these things are written so that you will believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and having believed in him, therefore have eternal life. So I just want to let you know that when you read the Gospels and you see the miracles, there is a macro point that Jesus Christ is trying to get across. But inside of the macro is micros. That every miracle, there is a micro message that you need to understand that can have a major impact on your life. Sure, Jesus is doing a macro, but if you miss the micros, you'll miss the things that can help you walk through this life and understand how to have an abundant experience before you get to the promised land. And so today, we're going to look at some micros. We're going to look at the macros of this healing of the paralytic. And he starts out in Mark 2, verse 11, where I'm starting the day. And he looks at this paralytic and he just says, I say to you, it's time for you to get up, pick up, and go home. We got to understand that at this point in the story, that is the end. That is the end of the story of the healing of the paralytic. So this paralytic has already received the power of Jesus Christ. 
This paralytic has already received his healing, but evidently after receiving his healing and experiencing the power of Christ, he was still down because the word of the Lord had to come to him and tell him to get up. That means that he wasn't up, but he should be. And the word of the Lord is coming to us in this room, and he says, some of you are still down, and you've already experienced me. How can you experience the power of Jesus Christ and still be living like you used to? So he's saying, you need to get up. And then he tells the paralytic, you need to pick up your pallet. I want you to notice that as we walk through this story, the paralytic will be on a pallet. So he's saying, what you used to be carried on, now you should be carrying. That, that, that the pallet doesn't leave the story, but it certainly should change positions. And so he says, get up, pick up, and then he says, you need to go home. You can go back to the same place, but you should not go back the same way. And so I'm starting at the end, but this is not how it started. Jesus, in verse 1, had come back to Capernaum, and he found himself in a home, and he was giving a word. Verse 2 says that it was so crowded that there was not any room near the door. Like, you, you couldn't get in. It, it was kind of like this church we at today, <laughs> where it's hard to find space to get in. Now, if, if it gets like this because of Jerry Flowers, what do you think it was like when Jesus started talking? Because there's no better word than the living word teaching you the written word. So you can't get a better word than that. And Jesus was, was preaching in the house. And so many people had crowded in in order to experience the Messiah, in order to experience his word. But notice that even though there was a crowd that came to hear the word, this is only about one man's miracle. That lets me know that you can be a part of the crowd and not experience a miracle from the Christ. You see, you, you first have to know you a paralytic. Okay, some of y'all don't think you... Some of us are lame in sin. You're disabled by fear. You're immobile spiritually. You're numb in your marriage. You're anesthetized by cultural thinking. You're, you're, you're stunted in your growth and your pursuit of God. Or maybe you're totally immobile because you ain't even saved. When Jesus is talking and says, I say to you, he's talking to many that are in this audience today. So I need you to understand that for many of us, we need to put ourselves in the paralytic's place. Okay, you didn't get that. Um, let me say it more plainly. If you in the same place this year that you was in last year, you the paralytic. If your mind has been telling you that you need to be someplace different in the future, but when the future comes, you still in the place you was when your mind was originally talking to you? You the paralytic. Because paralytics' minds say one thing, but their body can't respond to what their mind is telling them. So if you told yourself two years ago 
that you shouldn't be in this relationship because you know it ain't right, but you still in the relationship two years later thinking the exact same thought, you a paralytic. Jesus is talking to you and he needs you to move from the crowd because the crowd didn't stop him from being a paralytic. You can get the word and be a paralytic. You can come worship and be a paralytic. You can drive 30 minutes and make the effort to come to church and still be stuck in the same scenario you were stuck in when you came here. So I need you to understand that this story is only about one man's miracle, even though there was a crowd that showed up for a word. It has to go beyond the word. It has to go beyond the service. It has to go beyond your traditionalism just to come to church and then plan your meal to go get something good and go right back to your same scenario. We have to be willing to do something different and go through a process in order to experience the miracle of not being stuck. And here he is giving a word, and this paralytic found his way to Jesus. Because you can get a word and miss the person. You can worship and miss the person. You can be around the people but still miss the person. The only reason this paralytic got his healing at the end of the day is because he found his way to Jesus. Now, how does a paralyzed person get to Jesus? He, had, he physically made his way to the Messiah. How does a paralyzed person who can't move make their way to be in position to experience the power of Jesus Christ? Well, it tells you in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay, this is the part we don't like. Because I don't, I'm a grown man. I don't want nobody carrying me. So it's important to note that this paralytic must have not had a pride issue. That allowed him to say three words that most of us don't want to say. I need help. Most of us are too proud to let anybody know that I need help. He first had to recognize that he's a paralytic. But after recognizing that he's a paralytic, he has to be willing to say, I need some help. I'm stuck in the same scenarios my mind told me to get out of a long time ago. I'm not obviously able to move myself. And so once I recognize that, I've got to be able to say, I need help. This is a biblical principle. As you know, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a brother is born for that moment or a time of adversity. Proverbs 15, 22 says, with counsel, that's how your plans succeed. Hebrews 10 lets you know to stimulate one another to good deeds. Do not forsake the assembling of the saints. James 5, 16 says, The effectual prayers of the righteous availeth much. And when you pray for one another, that's how you get your healing. Galatians 6, 1 says, Bear one another's burdens. So all throughout the Bible, it lets you know that the one another's is how you get from being a paralytic to experiencing the power of God. And so right here, it tells you how he made it through. But most of us 
are paralytics that are private. And the reason why you're private is because you're prideful. But that pride keeps you from the right people. And if you don't have the right people, how does a paralytic get in position? If you never get in position, you can't experience the person and power of Jesus. So if you want the power and the person, you got to be in position. In order to get in position, you need the right people. To get the right people, you can't stay prideful and private. And if you choose to stay prideful and private, you'll be stuck as a paralytic. That's what he's letting you know is that they were carried by three men. Now, oftentimes I, I find it that people like to be private around the strongest people. Oh, that's the pastor. I sure ain't finna say nothing around him. Man. I can't tell you when I go in, I've been doing the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys for the last 12 years. And um, I, take, I take full responsibility for the wins, not that loss, though. We'll see what happens today. Uh, and when I come in the locker room, it's funny to me, conversations change. I walked in the locker room one time. I came in the locker room. Old buddy was talking like this, had his back turned to me. And he was like, yeah, bro, last night she was spiritual, spiritual. He started singing. I said, you singing? And then all of a sudden, he wanted to have a spiritual conversation. So teach me something, Pastor. What you got? Give me a word. You know what I'm saying? Y'all you know, know how it is. Give me a word. He said, man, you don't want no word. Let me hear what you're talking about. No, I'm good. I said, you give me a word. What you studying right now? He was like, oh, yeah, I'm in the book of John. Oh, I said, oh, I said the gospel or like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John? He was like, no, bro, I graduated fourth. <laughs> fourth? You're just making up stuff. Because you want to hide around somebody you view as strong. That's where I need to be, but I'm not going to do what's necessary to get there. Or for some of us, we just use social media to hide. We like to post stuff we know ain't true. You just happy talking about your studies, ha, 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 all this kind of stuff. You know you stuck in the background. And all you're doing is playing yourself, using social media as a platform to lie. Now, I'm not saying you got to tell everybody your business, but you should be real about your business. Because that's the only way you're going to grow. Listen, he says that there was four strong men who was carrying him. I know that these are the right people. You can't just go around telling everybody what's going on. But you got to obey God's word and get sharpened by people who are sharp. I know that these men were sharp. How do I know? Because verse 4 tells me these men weren't playing no games. It tells you the type of people you need in your corner. It says in verse 4, being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. They let it down. They let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. That one verse tells me a lot about these people. First, it lets me know they knew his struggle. They were close enough to know about him. Then it lets me know they were called to help. I know they were called to help because of the, the, the things they were willing to overcome to get it done. They weren't willing to quit easy. Some people are your friends, but that doesn't mean they're called to help you in your circumstance. 
So these four were called to help him. Not only that, they knew where to go. They took him to Jesus. That lets me know that these are people that have faith in Jesus, that this is the direction that we need to go. You have some people that are your friends. They may feel called, but they don't know the direction. And if they miss the direction, they may be helping you. They may not quit, but they're actually hurting you because they're taking you the wrong way. These are people that are taking him to a new spiritual perspective that we got to find our way to Jesus. Not only that, but they were spiritually tenacious. They would not give up. And watch this. They were strong where he was weak. (laughs) If you're a paralytic, you can't get carried by another paralytic. Fortunately for this paralytic, he had four friends that most of us don't have. Because we would prefer to be around other paralytics. That's our preference because it feels good. It feels good when this dude shares my same addiction. Yeah, bro, we, and I'm, we trying, bro, ain't we? We trying. It feels good when we can get together and down talk our man at the edge of divorce. It feels good because we can share in that commonality, we, we own common ground. And when you find common ground as a paralytic, it feels good because somebody understands what you're talking about. But the problem is a paralytic can't help you. You would just feel good and remain stuck. Yeah. It depends on what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go. It's better to be around the right people who make you feel wrong than the wrong people who make you feel right. And a lot of us are hurt people, finding our comfort with hurt people and wondering why we're stuck a hurt person. Because he's saying that these were the right people. And the reason why they have to be the right people, y'all, is because getting a miracle from Jesus is a process. You notice throughout the, the Bible, you see all of these people finding Jesus, walking with Jesus. Let me take you to this Okay? It's a process, and we see it as this instantaneous thing. But no, verse 4 is a process. J- just because it's in one verse don't mean it wasn't, it wasn't sweaty, lengthy, digging, pulling. We had to use tools. We had to figure out our way around. We had to move around. Because just because it was in one verse doesn't mean it was that short. This, this was a process to getting to Jesus, so we can't do this with paralytics. If we want to get this miracle, we need people with power. We need people who have a relationship, who know where to go, who are strong where I'm weak so that I can get where I need to go to experience the power of God. I mean, because this process, they had to, um, once they figured out they couldn't get in, they had to go on the exterior of the Palestinian home, which would have a staircase, because they used to party and have gatherings on the roof. The roof was flat. And so there's a staircase that's steep on the exterior of the Palestinian home. So not only did they have to carry the paralytic from where he was, so they already sweating. It's hot. It's hot over there. They had to carry him over there. Then once they get there and figure out they can't get in, now they have to go up the steps. So there's four of them taking them up the steps. So if you can imagine 
the first two going up and the last two going up behind the first two, that means the last two would have to hold the, the, the pallet up to keep them level. Because if they keep it down, what's going to happen? They're going to hurt them worse. And so now they're going up the steps carrying this man, and this is heavy. Let me have you understand, this situation ain't no normal situation. It's a heavy situation. How do you know that your baby in your lap has fallen asleep? They get heavy. Yeah, they must be asleep. They heavy. Because when you have a paralytic situation, it's a heavy circumstance. And so they have to carry him up the stairs. Then when they get up the stairs, they have to dig through the roof. Okay, these are some tenacious people. The roof is earthen thatch and, and pitch that they would put together to make it stiff and strong that you would be able to stand on. But underneath that would be tiles. They would have tiles underneath it because if it was just earth and thatch, you would fall through. And so they would have tiles or something strong underneath the earth and the thatch. So these people had to get there, go up the steps, put him down, start digging through the earth and thatch. Then they had to pull up the tiles. So now they're having to do all of this work just to create an opening to see Jesus. Now, once you see Jesus, now we got to let you down. That's a process. To let somebody down through a roof without dropping them? That, that's a process that you got to go through to position this person to experience the power of Christ. And so many of us got to understand that you have to go through a process as a paralytic. They have to take you up the steps to have a higher perspective. Then they got to be willing and you got to let them dig through and make things dirty. Then you got to allow them to pull up the hard things, the trauma, the past, the, the hurt, the pain. They got to be pulling all that up. And you, and you got to let them do it because you're a paralytic. You can't be like my kids. They broke. But when I tell them what we eat, they complain. <laughs> be quiet. You broke. You, you can't be talking about the process or the food. You can't be entitled when you broke. If you broken, be quiet. You got to go through the process. And we got paralytics who are entitled. Now, I don't want to do that. I ain't going there. I'm not talking to them. I don't want this counseling. I'm not about to go to church. I don't need this. I don't need to hear what he got to say. I don't, I don't need. Be quiet. You broken. This is a process that you got to go through. And a paralyzed person doesn't get to determine the process. And so he had to be willing to go through this process of getting dirty and pulling up tiles and going up and being carried and being humble enough to be positioned to experience the power of God. And it ends with his humility because they took him up to let him down. Because you can't be up there and experience the power of God. You got to come down here. And so here he is that many of us need to go through this process in order to experience that, that sanctifying work of God in our life with the right people who can walk this road with us. Now, you got that. You're like, okay, I get it. I'm a paralytic. <laughs> I struggle with that idea. But for most of us, you didn't put yourself in the story as the paralytic. Conveniently enough. You made yourself the pallet bearer. You're thinking about the person you're carrying. 
So if the paralytic, so now that I said that, I got to go. So let me jump over here in parentheses just for a second. I'm going to make a parenthetical few statements. This story is about the paralytic. But let me say a word to you pallet bearers. Because the paralytic couldn't be prideful, but a pallet bearer can't be prideful either. How many men were carrying this paralytic? Not one. Many of you are prideful enough to think that your intellect, your education, the way you word things, the way you put things, how you can carry them, the person you can take them to, your relationships, and your money can position this person without you breaking your back? Okay, some of you are frustrated about this paralytic and their problems and how it's affecting your life. And you don't even realize it's your fault. Because you're prideful enough to think that you can carry all this weight by yourself. So now you ain't carrying the paralytic. You dragging them all the way to Jesus. How you get them up the stairs? Sit up, sit up. Let me get them. They feet just hitting every step, going up the step. You digging through, getting tired. And then eventually, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts you. Eventually, you a paralytic right next to him saying, I tried, dog, but we couldn't make it. We did. Because you were so prideful to think that you can carry all that weight by yourself. And you're going to get taught a valuable lesson. You better go find some other people. Because the pallet had four corners so that the burden was evenly distributed. I don't care if you're a pastor, counselor, you sit on Jesus' lap, you better have some help. I, just, I can't help it. I just had a thought in my mind of me trying to, I'm by myself with a paralytic. How you lower him down? <laughs> Jesus in there teaching. Jesus talking about, <laughs> you going to drop him down? <laughs> so, so some of us hurt them worse. Because you're dragging and dropping. Because you can't handle all that weight. So either way, paralytic or pallet bearer, you better get your pride in checked. Because neither one could do it without help. Neither one. Dealing with people, family, Marriages, children, will be some of the hardest tasks you have in your life. I mean, literally, de just dealing with people. And, you know, one of those people is you. Everybody always looking out there. No, you're one of them. 
some of us don't realize why we're in the same problem um, no matter when we move or where we go. It's because you can't get away from you. And when you can't run away from you, that's, that's evidence that it's you that just went somewhere different. I had to throw that in there. I couldn't. And then verse 5 says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. First of all, he says, seeing their faith. This faith includes the paralytic. Let me help you understand. If the paralytic sins were forgiven because of the faith of the friends, that would be the only time in Scripture someone gets saved because of someone else's faith. Incorrect. If the paralytic sins are getting forgiven, that means that he also had faith along with the friends. That's how I know he must have asked for help or said, take me to Jesus. So he himself also had faith. So there is no... Just because my parents saved, I'm saved. Just because they saved, I believed. It don't work like that. You also have to have your own faith. I used to try to ride the coattail of my dad's faith all the way to heaven. That ain't going to work. I was on the back of it just skiing. Just. It don't work like that. When he says seeing their faith, that includes the paralytic's faith because that was the person whose sins were forgiven. But also... <laughs> They came in there for a foot issue, and Jesus went to a root issue. See, some of us are trying to get the material right when the immaterial is wrong. We want Jesus to be a genie in a bottle. We can rub, he come out, this is my wish. Get it done, and if he doesn't, we feel so entitled and inclined to get mad at him. And Jesus is saying, but I'm looking at a deeper issue. You coming to me for your feet, I'm looking at your sin. You coming to me for your relationship, I'm looking at the sin nature of it. You're coming to me for your finances, but you rob me on a weekly basis. So so if we can't fix the root issue, stop coming to me for your foot issue. There, there's something deeper that I'm trying to, you, you, you come into me for your, your trauma and the outworkings of that, but you have vengeance set in your heart. I got to get to that in order to fix what's going on. And a lot of us come to church to get our steps in, but we don't want to address sin. And until you address the sin, the deeper issue, then you won't experience the experiential power through your life of what Jesus can do. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think, watch this, according to the power that works in you. See, we flip over pews on the first part and stop and don't say the second part. So here he is. He's forgiving the sins of the paralytic. Often in the Bible, they equated your um, disease to your sins. So they thought there was a connection, right? Um, Psalm 103 says, pardons your iniquities and heals your disease. They were connected. Um, Second Chronicles 714, 
Um, if my people who will come pray turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Like there was, there was always a connection between you getting forgiven and experiencing your healing. Even in John chapter 9, stay with me, there was a, a blind man who was blind from birth. And the disciples said, who sinned? It was either him or his parents. Somebody sinned because he's blind. Now, Jesus debunked that view in verse 2 and 3 because he said no one sinned. His condition is so that the glory, glory of God can be revealed. So sometimes your paralytic state is not connected to sin or the problems that you have. Sometimes God will let you go through it like Job, who was a righteous man, so that the glory of God can actually be revealed in your pain, just like it was in Jesus' crucifixion. So we got to understand that, that, that it's not always because of sin. But I ain't in John 9. I'm in Mark 2. In Mark 2, because he forgave the sin, I know this is a sin issue. So for some of us, we have to address the sin and not just keep praying for fruit. We have to address the lifestyle because 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all unrighteousness if you confess. And once you do that, he says, now things, now we're getting somewhere because we've gone deeper. We're not just surface. Jesus doing more than social media posts just to make everybody think something. He's trying to do something real. But this is where it gets gooder. Because you're, you're, you're hearing micros. But at the same time, Jesus is proving a macro. He said, your sins have been forgiven. And he said it in the house where he was preaching the word. Where it was packed. Where people were trying to figure out who he is. Ooh. Your sins have been forgiven. Everybody in there said, say what? It says that the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious leaders who were in there said, this dude has lost his mind. <laughs> Let me read it to you so you don't think I'm lying up here. It's, but some of the scribes, verse 6, were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? People always tell me, there's nowhere in the Bible Jesus claims to be God. That's because you're trying to get him to say it in a 2023 American context. You want him to say it like he here right now, physically, in the flesh, in our culture. No, this was over 2,000 years ago in a different culture where he knew how to pronounce who he was to them. And they definitely understood it. That's why they tried to stone him and eventually why they killed him, because of blasphemy. When he says your sins have been forgiven, he knows that the religious leaders and the scribes know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They had to almost memorize the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written. They're living in it. They only had the Old Testament. 
And the Old Testament is clear that only God can forgive sins. Now, Exodus 43 says, God forgives your iniquities, transgressions, and sin. We talked about Psalm 103. It says, the Lord forgives your iniquities. Psalm 130 says, in the Lord you find forgiveness. So all throughout the Old Testament, you only have God as the person who can forgive the sins of anyone. And here comes Jesus in the house talking about, I say to you, your sins have been forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees were sitting there thinking to themselves, who is this dude? This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins other than God alone? And then it says, in Jesus knowing what they were reasoning in their hearts. Well, that's some evidence right there. How he know? <laughs> this is his response. Listen to this, y'all. Verse 7 says, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? Oh, Jesus is charging them up. So, so you don't think I can forgive sins? Watch this. What is Jesus doing? He's answering the question of the God alone by healing the paralytic. I'm going to do something you can see to verify something you can't see. He's using the micro to produce a macro. Yes, it's a blessing for the paralytic, but it's also that through the paralytic's life, everyone else will get to see that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is actually God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9 says the full deity of God resides in bodily form. Philippians 2 says God emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. John 1.1 says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's making it very clear. When he heals the paralytic, I'm letting you see what you can see so that I can verify something you can't see, that I am God in the flesh standing right in front of you. So if anybody ever asks you, who is Jesus? You say, he is him. Because of what he verified to them, that's what he was proving. He was proving this greater point. So then he gets to the end and he gets to the paralytic. All right. What is it easier for me to say? Um, your sins are forgiven or get up, pick up and walk. And they just sitting there staring at him. <laughs> so that you know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. See there? He says, son of man. Yes, it's flesh and blood standing in front of you. But it's also God standing in front of you. So that you're aware that I have the ability, because I'm God, to forgive sins. Because it's only to God alone. Then he looks at the paralytics. Get up. 
pick up that pallet and go home. Oh, y'all didn't get it. It's... You think you getting up is just for you. So that they will know who I am. I need you to get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. If you've experienced the power of Jesus Christ, why are you still down there? There's a lot of people who don't believe that need to see your life and the power work out through your life. So that they will know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You say, but I still have this palette of my past. I still have the palette of my trauma. I still have the palette of my... It's not going to, to change in your story, but it should change positions. You should be able to walk with that trauma differently now. You should be able to walk with your past differently now. You should be able to walk with your spouse differently now. Because you meet Jesus doesn't mean everything goes away. You still got it, but you should be able to walk with it. And then he tells you to go back to the same place that you came from but go back not the same way. Because when those people see that you're not down but you got up, when those people see that you got pain but it's now your testimony, when those people see that your whole life has changed by the power of God, they're going to say, what happened to you? And you're going to say, Jesus set me free. And they're going to say, how that happened? You're going to say, he forgave my sins. And they're going to say, but I thought only God can forgive sins. And that's when you can say, he is him. Your miracle is never just about you. Your change is never just about you. Your marriage and your children is not just about you. Your lifestyle, your decisions is not just about you. There are non-believers out there who are watching your life, trying to discern through how you walk whether Jesus is real. And if people are getting further from the church, if people are believing less and less, then what is the church doing? So Jesus looks at the paralytics and he says, you better pick up your pallet. The thing that you were carried on, now you should be carrying. You cannot just be a hearer of the word. You must be a doer of the word, lest you delude yourself. And most of us are experiencing a deluded experience of God because we hear it, but we don't want to get up pick up and go home. So I'm just going to give a moment, if I, if I may, if there's anyone who has sin unaddressed, it doesn't matter what it is. For this particular story, it was a sin issue. There were some things in the life that, that needed to be changed, and you need to confess. You say, Lord, I confess, because I know that your word says you are faithful to heal me of all my unrighteousness, and I want to be healed on the inside so that I can walk on the outside. And so if you want to say that today, I want you to just stand, stand to your feet. For those who have unforgiven sin, you got things in your life that you need to get right. You have things that need to confess. And I just want you to take a moment 
Just take a moment and confess your sins. Bible says, go before me with an unveiled face. Don't be lying to God because he already know. Give him the real and tell him you need your forgiveness. Let's take 60 seconds just to confess to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, we love you. Forgive me of my sins and my unrighteousness. Be specific. Humble yourself. Let's start the process today. Heavenly Father, I pray over the church, this church, your body. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. You know the specific issues all throughout the room, including myself. Because if a man says that he's always good and never sins, he lies. And so, Lord, we lift our lives to you. We give our lives to you. We pray, Lord, that you would touch us by the mighty right hand of God, that people who are lame will walk, that people who are blind will see, that the deaf will hear clearly your word and be able to respond in a way they've never responded before, that at the end of the day, people will be able to see the life, see the change, and then see Christ because of it. We love you and we honor you today. We give you the praise and glory for who you are. Thank you for blessing the house. In Jesus' name.